All right. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, worship team. It's uh, always good to be back at Open Door. Uh, yes, as, as Eric said, I have a pretty long history uh, here. Um, so I, my parents started attending this church, and our family started attending when I was in fifth or sixth grade. And so uh, a lot of firsts in this church. I, as, I remember the day when I carried in my drum set, my old like blue metallic drum set, and uh, Steve Strauss had told me to bring it in, and uh, Pastor Sid was up here, and he's like, what are you doing, Luke? I was like, uh, Steve, talk to Steve. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, this, was, this was actually where I learned to play the, the drum set um, during worship. And so it was, it was awesome. Had lots of people invest in me along the way. Uh, this was also where I got baptized. Uh, this was also the church where I got to do my, perform my first baptisms as a minister. And so just lots of, of great memories here. I love that open door instilled in me a love for God's word. And I just love seeing the posters. Uh, it reminds me of how Pastor Sid has so faithfully over 30, 35 plus, 30, I don't know what he's, 37 years, something like that, just preached through God's word verse by verse, blessed us by speaking God's word to us. And um, I love that he preaches through Old Testament books, books that maybe a lot of other churches or places don't, wouldn't touch. I remember he preached through the book of Leviticus when I was here. And I'm like, Leviticus, that's where people stop reading the Bible in a year, you know? <laughs> and, and he preached through the whole book. And I just love that love for God's word. And so um, he, he gave me permission to give you a little uh, ministry update this morning. And so um, we, one of the things that we've started doing in our ministry is doing like a spiritual habits survey at the end of both semesters with our students. And so I wanted to share that with you and hopefully this guy works. There we go. All right. Awesome. So um, first, um, just so you kind of know the makeup of our group, um, so these are all students that we somehow have connections with. Like we don't send this survey out to the whole campus. This is just students that we have connections with. And we do bribe them. Uh, they get a $5 Amazon gift card for the first 25 that fill it out. Um, so are you trusting and following Jesus? You can see that um, close to 90% probably of students that attend our group are trusting and following Jesus. And the other 11 or so percent are exploring or unsure. And so that's kind of the makeup of our group. So we have a very discipleship-focused ministry. Ripon College is not a Christian college. It's not affiliated with any religion in any sort of way. And so it's a very liberal arts college. And there's a lot of students that, frankly, aren't interested uh, in, in religion, in Jesus. Um, and so there's a smaller group. There's about, there's about 800 or 850 students total at Ripon College. And uh, one of the professors actually asked in, in a class, and one of our student leaders said, he asked, like, about how many, how many students do you think go to church? And uh, she brought that question up, and there were some other students around. And uh, we were like, well, I don't know, you think like 30? And the uh, other students who aren't part of our group were like, no way. Maybe 30 ever go to church in a whole semester. And so that just gives you kind of an idea of the environment that we're, that we're in. And so... Um, our group tends to be between 20 and 30 students that meet. We meet weekly on Wednesday night for our large group meetings, and then I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We have a men's group, women's group, special events. Um, we did a spring break service trip. We have a fall and winter retreat. So those are kind of some of the things we do. Um, so here's a few of the other questions. How often this semester did you attend a church service in person? And so you can see the percentages there. Um, about a third only when they visit home. And again, this is from students that say they're trusting and following Jesus, 
Okay, so only about a third of them attend in person when they go home. Now, some of them may live in the area and may go home fairly often. Um, but you could see four times per month is only about 18%, two times per month, 18%. And then how often this semester did you attend a church service online? And so never, half, half of them never, but an, uh, the other half about one time per month, two times per month, you can see the percentages there. Um, how often do you pray? And so daily, 37%, um, regularly, 18 and a half, and then sometimes, just one to three times per week would be about 30%, um, and then 14%, almost 15%, just one to three times per month. Um, and then are you currently praying for specific friends who do not know Jesus? And so it's about 50-50 here. Um, and I would ask you the same question. Are you praying for any friends that don't know Jesus? During this past semester, did you pray with a friend one-on-one? So it's one thing, obviously, to pray on your own, but to pray with someone. And so again, about 50-50, so that's, um, that's good. Um, obviously, love to see that number be- continue to grow. How often do you read your Bible independently? So regularly, over four times per week, 18%. About a third of our students, sometimes, one to three times per week, but then Almost 30% almost never read their Bible independently. And again, this is students that are saying they trust and follow Jesus. So we want to continue to encourage them to be in God's word. And so over the last semester, have you had any type of spiritual conversation with your peers who don't know Jesus? So almost 60% said yes, they have. So that's, uh, that's a, a great thing. Um, one of the things that we tell our students a lot is that they have spheres of influence on campus that we can't. They are the ones who are in the sorority, in the fraternity, on the sports team, whatever. And so we try to encourage them to be lights. Um, here's just a couple of uh, kind of mental health measures. And as you can see, there are high rates of anxiety um, within our group and I would say on campus. And um, any of you who work with young people know that this is a trend that's been rising a lot over the last, not just even before the pandemic, but then obviously the pandemic, and there's just lots of factors to this. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of students that are experiencing anxiety. And then here's uh, one for depression. And so uh, thankfully, fewer of our s- students struggle with this, but there's still that four, five, and six range has significant um, percentage. And so um, one, of the, uh, one of the things we do on the survey too that I wanted to share with you was just some of the responses. Um, We have kind of some more open-ended questions. And so um, one of the questions is, what's one of the ways that you have grown, basically? So they fill in the blank. The greatest area of growth for me this semester was. And we had one that said, Bible studies. Never did those before. (laughs) Um, Putting God as my main focus over school and everything else. Um, Bible reading and feeling more emboldened to share the good news of Jesus. Gaining a large perspective picture of God, his powers, and his ability to plan the best path for us in life. Um, This semester has helped me re-spark my passion for my faith and gave me some great tools to keep building my relationships. And then freedom from sin was another one. And so just, it's, it's awesome to get to be present in these students' lives and have a front row seat really to what God is doing. And so uh, the semester is just about to finish up, um, so you can definitely be praying for students. Uh, their anxiety levels are at like an all-time high at the end of the semester as they try to get everything done. Um, 
Another specific prayer request um, that I would love for you to join us in praying about is uh, my partner in ministry, Mandy, who if you get my newsletters, you hear lots about Mandy. Um, Her and I have been working together for nine years, and I'm just finishing up my 10th year. She is moving on from our ministry at the end of this year. And so... um, Obviously, that's a, that's a huge loss. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing for her. Like, there's nothing uh, bad going on at all. She, uh, she just felt like she needed a break from ministry. Um, and so she's going to be um, doing some other things. But uh, that leaves a big hole uh, at, on our campus. And so I do have an interview with uh, a woman from town um, who I got to meet already and I'm excited about. And so uh, she'll be meeting with us this coming Wednesday. So you can definitely pray for that interview. Um, but also we had uh, our, a female worker from Oshkosh that, that stepped down to pursue worship leading full-time, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so we're down to just three guys on our staff, one at Madison, who's a new hire, one at Oshkosh, who's been there even longer than me, and me at Ripon. So we could definitely use more workers for the harvest. And Jesus encouraged his disciples to pray for that, and it's still a very great prayer request to always be praying for more workers for the harvest. So if you would join us in praying that way, that would be awesome. Uh, I also want to mention, I do have a sign-up sheet. If, if you don't get our newsletters, we send out newsletters that give updates and tell stories about what's going on at Ripon College. And we would love to have you just get those newsletters in your email. So you can sign up at the information desk. Just put your first and last name and your email address, and we'd love to send you those. Um, we, we don't ask people for money in those. It's stories of what God is doing and how you can pray for us. And so we would love uh, for, you to, for you to get those newsletters. Uh, so yeah, um, with that, we're going to uh, get into today's sermon. I, it's from Hebrews 6, 17 through 20, and I've titled it The Anchor for Our Souls. But I wanted to start with a story. And uh, it's a sailing story. Uh, and I, I found this story on a, on a blog, um, and I just thought it fit so well with today's topic. So Susan and Dennis were out sailing on Prince William Sound on their 25-foot sailboat. So this is a picture not of their boat, but of a 25-foot boat of, of their exact type. And so it's a, it's a big boat, but not that big. And Susan wrote of the beginning of their trip, we quickly shed all the stress and entered a fresh new world. The weather was perfect, but a storm was en route. And then Dennis continues, It came right on schedule. We anchored up in Bear Cove, what was billed as a very secure anchorage on Knight Island in the cruising guide to Prince William Sound, setting two good anchors. At midnight, we were awakened by a violent wind that rocked our boat and sent everything flying. We scrambled outside, took down the anchor light that had blown out, and checked the anchor lines. Everything seemed secure. The, the depth sounder still showed 60 feet. We turned on the GPS and watched it to be sure we weren't dragging anchor. Everything seemed okay, and this blows my mind, so we went back to sleep, he writes. I'm like, what? Okay. At two in the morning... We were awakened again by a series of violent winds gusting to 60 miles per hour and above. After that, it was impossible to sleep, you think? I've never been in such violent wind. You could hear it gathering at the top of the mountain before swooping down on us at great speed and smashing into the boat. It was terrifying. 
All through the night, the next morning and the next afternoon, it wailed. Once I looked out the window and saw a 20-foot water spout where the wind smashed into the water. Luckily, we had a GPS with a moving map. It showed a breadcrumb trail of where we were being blown. We could see that the anchors were holding. By the time the wind abated, the circle was almost black, like a tightly wound ball of yarn. We must have spun around and around hundreds of times. So that's their GPS pattern throughout the night. We were completely dependent on our anchors, Dennis writes. If they had dragged, the boat would have blown onto the rocks and we couldn't have done anything to stop it. Despite the terror of the night, it was a very secure anchorage. The holding ground in the darkness below was excellent. Our anchors were invisible. We couldn't see what was going on 60 feet below us. We could only feel the violence of the wind on the surface. Dennis writes, I told this story because it reminds me of life. We all go through storms, times when trouble just won't abate. Sometimes all we can do is hang on and pray for relief. Susan and I did a lot of praying that night and day, he writes. We wanted the wind to abate, of course. But the most important thing was that the anchors hold. Jesus doesn't always remove the storms from our lives, he writes. But he is the holding ground to which our anchors are attached. We can't see him, but he's protecting us even when the storms of life rage and we're terrified. Well said, Dennis. <laughs> I had to stop like, like reading from his blog because I wanted to preach a little bit. Um, so, but what an incredible, incredible story. We all face storms in this life. Jesus said to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Trouble, though, is as certain today as it was back then for the disciples. We are sinners, living with other sinners in a fallen, sin-cursed world. And if that weren't enough, Satan and his demons are arrayed against God and humanity, seeking to kill, steal, and destroy, to divide, discourage, and deceive. So the question isn't, will you face trouble? The question is, what will you do when the trouble comes? So our text today, like I said, is Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. So if you would turn there with me in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 6, and we will start in verse 17. Just as Dennis and Susan did on their adventure at sea, we all need an anchor in this adventure we call life. And an anchor is defined pretty simply as a heavy object attached to a rope or chain and used to moor a vessel to the bottom of the sea. So today we're going to discover together from our passage what is the anchor for our souls. And then, using other scripture passages, we'll extend the metaphor to see what's our bedrock, like where our foundation should be, and what are some of the links in the chain that connect us to our hope and foundation. 
So let's pray as we prepare to dive into what God has for us in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those songs that we could sing of your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that, that you know us individually. That, as, as Eric read from Psalm 139, you know us fully. That you knit us together in our mother's wombs. That, that before there was one of our days, you knew them all. And you go before us and behind us and with us. God, thank you so much for what a personal, relational God you are and that you call us into relationship with yourself through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you love us. So I pray that you would open our hearts now to receive from you, from your word, from your spirit, what you want us to receive. Thank you, God, for being with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Hebrews 6, 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, let's just talk our way through this passage. So verse 18 mentions these two unchangeable things. And it's talking about God's promise and the oath he took by himself. So in the verses that precede our passage, the author is specifically discussing God's promise to Abraham. But the author quickly turns and applies it to us, to Christians, when he says, to we who have fled for refuge. That's us. And so he goes on in verse 19 to say, we Christians have this, what's this? The the hope set before us as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So the anchor for our souls is hope. I hope that you have a question. What exactly is hope? Right? What are we supposed to be hoping in? Well, the word for hope that's in our passage, actually occurs 53 times in 48 verses in the New Testament. So we have a lot of help for defining what hope is and where we're supposed to be hoping. But let's finish our passage first. After telling us that we have the hope set before us as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, God tells us more about this hope. He describes it as a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our our behalf. Okay, so what's this inner place behind the curtain? Well, this is referring to the Holy of Holies, a place in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple of the Old Covenant where God's presence rested in a unique way over the Ark of the Covenant. And no one was allowed to ever go into this room. 
except one time per year, and only the high priest could go in on the Day of Atonement. And he had to take blood for himself and for the nation, the blood of a goat, to atone for the sins of the people. And so it was basically this unused room where nobody ever went except for one time per year. Nobody except the high priest ever got to set foot or look into this room or they would be destroyed by God's holiness. And our passage says that our hope enters into this inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So even though Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah, so all good Jews would know that priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. And the high priests were descended from the line of Aaron. Well, Jesus wasn't any of those things. So that's why we get this really awesome biblical name, Melchizedek, in there. Okay? So we're not going to go into all of Melchizedek's story, okay, today. But what you need to know is that Jesus is qualified to be our great high priest. And he is the supreme and final high priest to which the entire priesthood of the Old Testament and all other high priests pointed. Jesus fulfills the entire priesthood. He's also the perfect atoning sacrifice. Remember when I talked about Pastor Sid preaching through Leviticus? It's all about all these sacrifices and the right way to bring them and the peace offering and the guilt offering and the sin offering. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of blood. All points forward and is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect atoning sacrifice. And while we're at it, the whole temple also is fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus is God with us. And so the hope set before us is the anchor for our souls. And that hope is what Jesus accomplished for us when he went behind the curtain. When Jesus died, when he breathed his last, what happened? The temple veil was torn. That curtain, that thick curtain separating us from the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And it visually displayed that Jesus had made a way for every person who will put their trust in him to live now and forever in a restored and intimate relationship with God the Father. No more veils. No more separation. So the hope that is the anchor for our souls is the hope of restored, eternal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What else can we learn about this hope that is set before us? And at this point in the sermon, I want to let you guys know, um, my parents were here last night and I was like, so what, what feedback do you have? And they said, well, That was a lot of information, Luke. (laughs) And so I do have some handouts that have like all the verses and kind of an outline. So if if you're a note taker, I'm a note taker in church, you know, feel free to just hit the highlights. You don't have to try to get it all down. I have it for you. You can grab it at the information desk on your way out if you want. Um, But as I said, there's a whole bunch of passages in the New Testament that help us learn more about this hope, all right? And first, Romans 8, 22 to 25 says... For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And I love what, what the author says about hope here. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we learn a few things here about hope. Hope is future-oriented, right? It's not something we see or have yet. So even though justification by faith is an amazing truth of our, of our faith, that's not the anchor for our souls because we already have that if we're trusting Jesus. We've already been justified. We've been declared righteous through Christ. Our hope is future-oriented. And so hope, he also says, is waiting eagerly and patiently. Now that to me is kind of a funny thing. How do you wait both eagerly and patiently? My parents and my brother, is, are, they're all teachers, and so I'm the black sheep of the family. That's what I like to say. Um, but uh, but they, they know, and probably some of you remember sitting in class, or some of you students, maybe you're these students, who when the teacher asks a question, they're like, ooh, 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 me, 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 right? Or they raise their hand and they just start saying the answer out loud, right? Well, that's eagerness, but it's not patience. Right? We're supposed to wait both eagerly and patiently. That's hope. That's hope. Like we can't wait for it to get here. And yet, because we have that hope, we can be patient. We can be calm. We can wait. And what are we waiting for? This passage tells us the redemption of our bodies and of the whole creation. The Bible tells us that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And we're going to get new bodies. Your future is not floating around as some spirit somewhere. If you're trusting in Jesus, your future is in a new body that doesn't break down, doesn't get COVID, doesn't, doesn't have sin. I mean, that's a great hope. Yes. And, and when, when you're, uh, you know, 41 like me, and you try to play sports against college students... Trust me, you look forward to a new body. <laughs> but, but I mean, that is a great hope. And it's future-oriented. All right, let's go to the next passage. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now notice all these things are in the past tense. Those things are not our hope because if we're Christians, we have those things. I love when, when the New Testament just recounts all these things we already have in Jesus, right? Okay, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we're hoping for eternal life. Now, eternal life is something that starts now when we trust in Jesus, but it also lasts forever. Have you ever seen those illustrations where somebody takes a really long rope and then they color in like this much of the rope and they say, this is your life on earth and this is eternity, right? We have hope of living forever with Jesus if we're trusting in him. And 
Something that's sobering is that all human beings live forever. The question is, is where? And in what kind of a relationship with God? And so who are you praying for? Who are you speaking of Jesus to that needs to know him so that they can live forever with him for eternity? Well, Romans 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, again, past tense, we have, already have, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of what here? The glory of God. Now, it was glorious to be singing with y'all, right? And, and we get glimpses of the glory of God this side of heaven, right? The power of a thunderstorm. <laughs> the power of that wind when they were in that boat, right? The beauty of a sunset, right? We get to see the image of God in people all around us. So we get glimpses of God's glory, but here it says the hope of the glory of God. This is a little bit like what the disciples experienced for just a little bit when all of a sudden Jesus transfigured and they're like, whoa, I didn't know that was in there, (laughs) right? Like they were just blown away and, and the Bible says they didn't even really know what to do because it was so awesome. We're gonna get to experience that glory of God someday. What a hope. Colossians 1.27 says, To his saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. That's what we already have. The hope of glory. And 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Okay, so that one is a little confusing, right? Jesus came, but he's also coming again. We get to have a relationship that starts now with Jesus and lasts forever, but we haven't seen Jesus yet. One day, we will get to see Jesus face to face. If we are trusting in him, we will get to meet our Savior face to face. That is a great hope. And so let's pause for a quick summary here, all right? Hope is the anchor for our souls. It's future-oriented. It's waiting eagerly and patiently. And it's hope in eternal life. Hope in the glory of God and hope anchored in the bedrock of Jesus Christ. So at this point, I think it is important to mention that like in our day, we use hope in some different ways, right? So that first one, the like probably not to definitely not range, I can illustrate like this. I hope that I will look like Captain America someday. Yeah, that ship has sailed. Not happening, okay? Uh, yeah, so like, you know, it's, that's, the, that's the probably not to definitely not range, okay? But then we also use hope in the like 50-50, right? Like, like this, I hope Aaron Rodgers won't cause too much drama for the Packers this season. Someone, someone uh, last night was like, I'd put that more like 80-20, <laughs> right? But, but we use hope all the time in those first two ways. Like, I hope I win the lottery. I hope this test goes well, even though I didn't study for it, right? Like, like, there's all sorts of ways we use the word hope. Unfortunately, the way we use the word the least is the most important way 
biblical hope. And so I define biblical hope as the cat gif. Wait, not that, not that cat gif. No, sorry. The cat gif is the confident assurance that God is faithful. That's biblical hope. The confident assurance that God is faithful. That he will do what he says. And as, as we sang in the song, like we can look at Jesus, at Jesus and at God's record, 100% perfect, keeping his promises in the past. So that gives us a pretty good prediction that yes, he will keep all those promises in the future. And so biblical hope is the confident assurance that God is faithful. It's a future certainty. And that is the kind of hope we can have in Jesus Christ. So the anchor is hope. And the rock that we anchor in, the bedrock, the foundation of our hope is Jesus. And then there's a chain that connects, right? We're the boat, right? The sea is life, right? And there's a chain that connects us to the anchor. So what are some of these connecting points? And so... I've said that the Holy Spirit is kind of like what holds the whole chain together. And listen to this verse here, Romans 15, 12 through 13 says, And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So the Holy Spirit is the one who keeps us connected to the anchor of our hope, which anchors in the bedrock of Jesus, all right? So first and foremost, this is a Holy Spirit thing. This is something God produces in people who are abiding in Jesus. But what are some of the links in the chain that the Holy Spirit uses? Hebrews, here we go, Uh uh-oh, aha, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 actually has a bunch of them. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, this is an eat your lettuce passage. Did you catch that? Let us? Did you see all the let us, let us, let us? That's like, that's like the writer's way of being like, come on, guys, let's go. Let's do this all together. It's like a coach giving up a, a pregame or halftime speech. Like, let's do this, right? And so, Let's eat our lettuce, okay? Here are some of the links in the Holy Spirit's chain. Faith was mentioned in that passage. Confession and repentance. That's the sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, right? And then our bodies washed with pure water. Baptism is one of the links in the Spirit's chain. 
holding fast, holding fast. Hope is not like a cross your fingers and sit back and wait. It's an active thing. We have effort to put into this. And so we have to hold fast. Stirring one another up to love and good deeds. Do you just complain about people or do you encourage them towards love and good deeds? We have to also encourage each other to meet together. We need to not give up meeting together. We need to meet together regularly. That's one of the links in the Holy Spirit's chain. He uses each other in our lives. And then we have to encourage each other. Hey, look up. Remember our hope, right? All right, there's a few more links in the chain I want to mention. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The Bible is a link in the chain. And then Ephesians 6, 17 to 18 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. One of the main tools the Spirit uses in our lives is prayer. And so I know... You know, that's like the expected thing that pastors are supposed to say is read the Bible and pray. There's a reason why they always say that. Because it works. (laughs) Because these are some of the critical links in the chain that connects us to hope, that connects us to the bedrock Jesus. I I say this to college students. If you want to read a text message from Jesus, open your Bible. And if you want to talk to Jesus, pray. It it really is that simple. And so there are also all of the other spiritual practices. So whether it's spending time in nature, if it's journaling, if it's fasting, anything that connects us to Jesus is a link in the chain that anchors our boat, the boat of our lives on the crazy sea to hope, to Jesus. So to close our time together today, I just wanted to encourage you with some of the results of hope. What happens when we, when we stay connected to the anchor of hope in Jesus? And so here's just a few of the results of hope. And I'm just going to read these passages for you. And as I read them, I want you to realize that what Jesus said is really the way it works. That when we abide in Jesus then we will bear much fruit, right? So it doesn't happen by us like, I'm going to make some fruit, (laughs) right? That's not what branches do, right? They don't like muscle up fruit. A branch's job is to... (laughs) I'm I'm totally stealing this from Francis Chan. I love that sound. It's just like... (laughs) That's our whole job as Christians. Stay connected to Jesus. And then the fruit comes out. He will produce much fruit. And so here's some of the results when we stay connected to Jesus, okay? Purity. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be 
has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's that hope. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Some of you guys maybe have prom coming up. I don't know. My, my son has prom coming up. And his girlfriend got him a suit. They bought a suit because they're like, it's cheaper to buy one than rent one. So he bought that. That thing's already been bought for a couple weeks. And then they got the shoes. When you're getting ready for a big event, you try to look your best, right? Well, we have a big event coming. We're going to see Jesus face to face. So don't you think it's a good idea if we have that hope to purify ourselves, to let God wash us from all the sin that so easily entangles us and drags us down and be ready to meet Jesus? Why do we want to screw around with sin when we're going to meet Jesus? So it's the hope helps us motivate, helps us be motivated to fight sin and to pursue purity. All right, a readiness to speak of Jesus, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If you have a great hope, it just comes out. And so if you have a hard time talking about Jesus, it might not be that you need to be a better speaker or not be so shy. It might be that you need to anchor more firmly in Jesus. It might be that you need to spend more time reading about Jesus. It might be that you need to spend more time talking with friends who you know are followers of Jesus, talk about Jesus, get excited about Jesus, and it will start coming out. My, my, my wife, the, you guys know the NFL draft is going on, right? And my wife is like, does anyone go to that thing? I'm like, yeah, a lot of people go to that thing. And she's like, yeah, I, I had a coworker who said they didn't have cable and they were renting a hotel room so her husband could watch the draft. Well, why do people do this? Hope. There's only one team every year that wins the Super Bowl, but everybody watches the draft because maybe this is our year, right? Maybe we're going to get the one player that'll turn this whole ship around. It's hope, and that's in something as silly as football. We have a much better hope than that, a sure hope. So when we anchor, it'll come out, all right? Earnestness, I like this word. Hebrews 6, 11 to 12 says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise earnestness is like the opposite of sluggishness right it's like i want to be doing god's work because i have this great hope what else would i want to spend my life on and then comfort and good works and words comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 to 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. When we have hope, we get comfort. And we can do good works and speak good words. Because we don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future because we know God's got us. And so we can do good. Even if people do bad to us, we can bless them in return.
Even if people speak poorly of us, we can speak well of them. Because we have hope. The confident assurance that God is faithful. Just a few more. Faith in Christ and love for the saints. Colossians 1, 3 through 5. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, why did they have it? Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So the reason the saints in Colossae had faith in Christ and love for all the saints was because they had the hope. And the last one is joy. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We can have such great joy no matter what our circumstances are. We can be patient in tribulation because we have a sure hope. So, we are ships on the sea of life. May we stay connected to Christ, our rock, the bedrock, the foundation, by the anchor of the hope set before us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, with every chain link that God has given us, so that we can experience God's continued transformation in our lives, for his honor and glory, for the good of others, and for the very best life that we could ever have, now and forever. Let's close our time together in prayer. We bless you, O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to your great mercy, you have caused all of us who are trusting in Jesus to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. By your power, God, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So help us, God, to rejoice in such an amazing salvation, even though now for a little while, as necessary, we're grieved by various trials. Help us to know that these trials are so that the tested genuineness of our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns. Though we have not seen you, Jesus, we love you. We trust you. We rejoice in you with inexpressible, glorious joy. And it is in your awesome, mighty, bedrock name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.